origin, the things you've picked up, and how to uh, correct some of those things and uh, relate with others in a more emotionally mature way. Uh, the third thing is uh, downstairs and upstairs. I don't know if you know, but we have the best church library I've ever seen, and I don't say that lightly, and I know she would not want me to say her name publicly. I am. Pauline Musselman has put together an amazing, yeah. And if you have not used it, especially kind of coming out of the pandemic, there's a, a few different ways you can do that. And so first of all, is just go downstairs. There's a children's library and an adult library. There's lots of stuff. There's devotional resources spilling out of the library into the hallway. Uh, but she has pulled a number of resources to do with relationships and put them at the back of our auditorium. Now, you can't just take those. Don't grab them and run. Still need to sign them out. But she's made it a little more convenient to try and draw you down there. We want to do that too. So there's great resources for your life, for relationships at the back. And if you're watching online and you just want to pick something up, or you can browse our whole library online. You may not have known that. Just go to the media link on our website and you can view that and if you want to sign up for emotionally healthy relationship of course the middle button on the home page says RSVP for events you'll find all the details right there so lots of stuff to do with relationships and this morning we're going to start with some basics there was a book that came out in 1986 by Robert Ful uh, Fulgham I'm not sure if I'm saying his name right, right but it became a New York Times bestseller uh, overnight and it's called all I really need to know I learned in kindergarten. Maybe some of you read it or have gone to you know, seminars and things like that. I want to read an excerpt from that book this morning. All I really need to know about how to live and what to do and how to be I learned in kindergarten. Wisdom was not at the top of the graduate school mountain, but there in the sand pile at Sunday school. These are the things I learned. Share everything. Play fair. Don't hit people. <laughs> Put things back where you found them. Clean up your own mess. Don't take things that aren't yours. Say you're sorry when you hurt someone. Wash your hands before you eat. Flush. Warm cookies and cold milk are good for you. Live a balanced life. Learn some and think some and draw and paint and sing and dance and play and work every day some. Take a nap every afternoon. When you go out into the world, watch for traffic. Hold hands and stick together. Wonder. Remember the little seed in the styrofoam cup? The roots go down and the plant goes up. Nobody really knows how or why. But we all like that. Goldfish and hamsters and white mice and even the little seed in the styrofoam cup. They all die and so do we. And then remember the Dick and Jane books and the first words you ever learned, the biggest word of all, look. Everything you need to know is there somewhere. The golden rule and love and basic sanitation, ecology, politics, equality, and sane living. Take any one of those items and extrapolate it into sophisticated adult terms and apply it to your family life or your work or your government or your world, and it holds true and clear and even firm. Think what a better world it would be if we all, the whole world, had cookies and milk about 3 o'clock every afternoon and then lay down with our blankies for a nap. Or if all governments had as a basic policy to always put things back where they found them and clean up their own mess. It's quite a list, but some good stuff. And so today we begin at the same place. We're going to look at some basic teaching from Paul in the book of Ephesians. Now, Ephesus was a major city, and last year we went through a whole series on the book of Ephesians. And we're just going to look at three verses from Ephesians 4 today. And Paul wrote this book to a church he started. People he had been with for at least two years and loved deeply. And he was constantly giving them some basics. 
basics on how to follow Jesus. And this morning, we look at one of those kind of everything I need to learn, I learned in this basic as he goes through one skill that's going to help us as a church family and that you can take and apply elsewhere in your life to great impact. Uh, He was teaching these basics, and really the skill we learn has um, an overlap of emotional maturity and spiritual maturity. So what do I mean by spiritual maturity? And I want to hear you Uh, have you listen well to my next phrase and statement because it's a principle we hold dearly here at Country Hills Church. Spiritual maturity is not a destination, it's a direction. I'll say that again. Spiritual maturity is a direction and not a destination. No one ever arrives at being fully spiritually mature, but we can all have a direction of spiritual maturity. What I mean is long term steady growth. Sometimes it's two steps forward, one step back, but it's growing in the same direction. Growing up in our relationship with Jesus, becoming closer to him, and growing together as a church family because we need one another. In fact, uh, last year, uh, actually a little more than a year ago, Gavin Wark did a spiritual formation survey. Many of you took part in that. And the one thing that rang true throughout it, and the one thing we can say for sure across almost everyone who answered, the one principle, is that spiritual growth happens best in relationship. And so understanding spiritual maturity in relationships and this one skill is really important today. In fact, it's one of the principles and one of the reasons we're going through emotionally healthy discipleship. Part one we did in the fall, emotionally healthy spirituality, and we're piloting these, we're trying it. That went well, so now we're doing part two. I strongly encourage you to sign up. This is going to make a big difference in your life, emotionally healthy relationships. And, and one of the prime principles of that is that you cannot be spiritually mature without being emotionally mature. Or in other words, You can't be both emotionally immature and spiritually mature at the same time. It doesn't work. We can't just know the Bible and know about God and develop in a relationship and just completely blow apart our relationships and not know how to handle others and not know how to grieve well and deal with the junk and the stuff in our own lives. Uh, We tend to separate those. Uh, That doesn't work in real life. And so today, we look at a skill where emotional and spiritual maturity come together in our relationships with others and in our relationship with God. This skill is relevant today. Now, here's the problem. When we get to this skill and the wording that I'm going to read in the New Living Translation, you're going to recognize, even if you're unchurched, even if you're not used to anything uh, from the Bible, even if you've never heard these verses before, you're going to hear a phrase that you've heard over and over and over and over again over the past 10 to 20 years. It uh, resonates in our culture, but it's different. So the phrase we use in our culture is kind of like a half-truth. I think the intent of the phrase is pure and good, and it started from a good place. But the way we see it lived out is just a big mess. And it's this. Speak your truth. Now, that came about, I believe, as a desire to speak for the, the oppressed those who are downtrodden, those who just need someone to speak on their behalf, speak against injustice, speak up in power, those who are repressed, speak against privilege, all of these things. Someone who doesn't have a voice needs to have a voice, and so we've encouraged people to speak your truth. Two problems with the way we do that in culture. Speak your truth. The first of all is understanding of truth. Our cultural basic understanding of truth is whatever's true for you is true, and then we try and live it out. 
And we say, you know, my truth is my truth and your truth is your truth until we're at odds with someone. And then either we want to cancel someone or <laughs> say they're wrong and we, we say, we want to tolerate and, and play nice with others and we can't do it. Something can't be blue and red at the same time. You can't be east and west at the same time. Well, I guess depending how you look at the compass. But you can't be those two things at the same time. You can't be two things at the same time. There is actual truth. And truth comes first and foremost from God's nature. And it's reflected in his word. And we can learn it together. Now, there is truth that we find outside the Bible. Absolutely. You're not going to find anything about math or science uh, but you find lots of things about human nature and psychology and sociology there. But some of the truths that uh, we have expanded on as a human race have their roots in the Bible, but we find them a bit deeper. So many mathematicians, scientists, uh, physicists, politicians, you know, people who've gone into different fields began hundreds of years ago in their relationship with God wanting to understand the world better so that as a human, they could relate to God and others better. And so a lot of what we have as truth outside of the Bible, which is actually truth, not you know, subjective or anything, uh, had its roots in knowing God and knowing others. So there is truth apart from the Bible, but any truth has to fall in line with God's nature and his word. And that's our grade. And what we tend to do is we take culture. So speak your truth, how we live it, tolerance, all these things. And we lay it over top of the Bible. And if something was written 2,000 years ago and the wording is the same, we assume it's the same thing. But it's not. And today we're going to look at that and realize actually what Paul taught under the influence of the Holy Spirit is much deeper, much wider, and has a way better application this many years later. The second thing about uh, speaking your truth. So the first thing is, an understanding of truth. That there's no real truth. It's just whatever you believe is true. Uh, that's not truth. The second problem with speaking your truth and the way we apply that today is that we have no concern for how it will be re received. No concern for how it's presented. So let me give you an example. So you're at work and some sort of uh, boss or supervisor, someone in authority over you, uh, treats you poorly. Everyone else does it. You know it. You're kind of silent, you're not allowed to say anything, and you just want to be able to, to draw attention to that. I heard uh, a thing on TikTok the other day uh, about that, and, and someone who was sharing about how uh, they weren't allowed to make copies, personal copies at work, but found out their supervisor was doing it regularly and lying about it. And, and the way they went about speaking their truth and bringing things to light got their supervisor in a lot of trouble, and really, you know, it was this big blow-up thing. And the problem was, it didn't really fix the relationship. It didn't help anything at work, and it didn't help anyone. And so speaking your truth is important, but just you know, lighting a, a truth bomb and running away and going, man, I can't wait for this thing to go off. Watch what happens. The aftermath actually doesn't reach the results that we want of, of better relationship, Yes, it shares information, but sometimes it's shared in such a way that the very person we're trying to confront or share a deep need, help them to see the world through our eyes. They're so opposed to us because it's such an opposition. It's so uh, filled with conflict. It can't possibly reap the results that we want. And so speaking your truth comes from a good place, but there's something better. And Paul explains in these three verses we look at today, the problem the solution, or we'll talk about it in terms of a skill, 
and the result. So the problem, the skill, and the result. So turn your Bibles, or you can watch on the screen, or look at the, uh, at the Bible app, look under events, you'll find it all there. Uh, the problem, Ephesians 4, 14, and 15. Let's start at verse 14. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. So before we get into the, the there's this word then. So if we're going to understand what Paul's speaking about here, we have to know what he was speaking about before. And what he's talking about, the whole context is how the church family, or he refers to it as a body with many parts, fits together. And he talks about five leadership gifts or five equipping gifts. And he paints a picture with Christ at the head, and in the body there are people who have some roles where they equip and he talks about these five roles. We're not going to dig too, too, too deep in this, but we need to understand this to figure out what he's saying and why. So he's got this gift of apostle, and that's kind of a, a gift of starting new things. So there are those who go ahead and start some new things. Then there's prophets who hear from God and help us understand where God is leading us, and they can equip us in that. There are evangelists, people who um, share God's word and just have this extra spiritual gift to bring people in to follow Jesus. There are shepherds who care for the body, the sheep, the family. And then there's teachers who teach and equip that way. All of these equipping roles are in place to equip the rest of the body. There is no uh, statement of being better. A pastor is not better than someone who sets up chairs. Okay, a Sunday school teacher is not better than a, a, a greeter, someone who does food or does, you know, wiring or does something, whatever is not better than up front. They're, they're equal, but they're necessary. So we have those who equip, help us to know how to work together. And when the body works together, all of us, under Christ being the head, then a few things begin to happen. We start to grow up and mature, and we start to grow close. Then, as we're equipping and being equipped and doing the work of the kingdom together, everyone doing their part, all co-equal, then we'll no longer be, and he states three things. And the way he says these three things is as if these are the norm in a church that isn't being equipped and doing the work, isn't growing up and growing close. In a church that's divided and misguided, here's the norm. Three things. First of all, well, I'll just say three things. Immature, tossed about, and influenced. First one, immature. Okay, so then we will no longer be immature. In fact, the phrase here has to do with a general term used for the, the activities and the behavior of babies. So infants and toddlers, generally. So what do what infants and toddlers do? Okay, They eat whatever you give them. They cry because that's the only way they can you know, express themselves. They either cry or they kind of laugh and smile. They don't have the nuance of adults of expressing their emotions. They make a mess and they don't know how to clean it up. So when you have a bunch of babies in a church, and when you get two toddlers together, sometimes they play so nice, and it's like, that's so good, let's go have tea, and two seconds later, you come in, and there's peanut butter everywhere, and they're fighting, and there's poop, and there's all, it's just a mess, right? That is what Paul is saying. Don't be immature. Then, when we're being equipped, when we're equipped, and being equipped, doing the work of the ministry together, as we're connected, as a body under Christ, we're maturing and we're connected, then we won't be immature. 
Social media and reality TV does a lot of clickbait with this stuff, right? So my apologies to you if your name is Karen, but there's like the, the phenomenon of videotaping those who are known as a Karen who like lose their mind in public and behave very poorly, have a temper tantrum, right? That gets a lot of views. When adults act like children, relationally, out in public, with one another, with their money, with other people's stuff, with contracts, with sports, with... We love to watch that, right? When we can't work it out. Okay, we were at a Rangers game. It was great to watch a fight on Friday night. That was a, a great fight. We shouldn't like that, should we? Like, that's such a childish thing. Like, get over it. You're, you're chasing a piece of rubber with a piece of stick on skates. Grow up, right? But we, we just were kind of drawn to that because it's kind of interesting to watch. It's, it's kind of weird because adults shouldn't act like children. Then we won't be immature. It happens in the church. Most problems in the church uh, don't have to do with theology. Sometimes it's theology. Usually it's how we behave towards one another. Well, this person didn't do what I thought, or they treated me wrong, or we had this problem when we grew apart, we didn't address it, or on and on and on and on and on. If we're doing these things, if we are equipping and being equipped and growing up and growing close together, then we're not going to be this way. The second one is tossed about. Now, the term here, he, he talks about being uh, like a, uh, an unskilled sailor in a sailboat without a rudder. And you're just out on the sea in a storm, and you're blowing everywhere, and you think, hey, the wind's blowing this way, I should go there. The wind's blowing this way, I should go there. And you are immature, but you're also tossed about. In fact, the term that Paul used means to be swung about. So it's not even like up to you. You're just swung wherever, and you think, that's great. So you hear this teaching, or, or this teaching, you hear this on the, the news, or this from someone at church, or you read a book, or you watch a TikTok, or you whatever it is, and you think, that's good, that's good, that's good, that's good, that's good. You have no idea what is true, and your life is going every which way, and your, your foundational worldview and your understanding of truth is just way off base, and you begin to look at God's word through the grid of other people's opinions. And this, so the first goes into the second, goes into the third. So not only do we tend to be immature and tossed about, we are easily influenced. Children are easily influenced, right? So they'll get a, an older kid saying, let's go, like, help me steal this thing. It's good because of this. Or let's, you know, prank the teacher in a really mean way, and, and we'll do this because they treated us this way. And it sounds like truth. And when we're immature and we're tossed about, we don't really know what truth is, and that means being immature, we're disconnected, and we're kind of doing our own thing, we're self-focused, we're influenced. And we get influenced, as I said before, we judge scripture and how we walk out our beliefs and how we follow Jesus according to the culture around us. And there are truths that are there that we ignore. And there are other lies that sound so crafty, so cunning, done so well, they just sound and feel right. But they're wrong. And that word for cunning and craftiness is a term that's taken from um, gambling and, and, a, and a dice game where they, they trick you. And so, you know, the best way for us to think about it is think, think of, you know, people on, on maybe the street in Las Vegas or somewhere like that, or even if you watch, like, A Christmas Carol, the, the animated thing, the Disney thing, they have someone doing that with the three cups, you know, and they're like, hey, guess where the card is or whatever they put around, and you know where it is, and all of a sudden they lift it, and, and you, you get duped every time. You think, oh, I must not have done that. I'll put some more money down. And you, it's that thing. 
that seems so good you can't spot the lie. It sounds right. Everyone around you is saying, culture is saying, it seems, I don't know how it works with the Bible, but this sounds, and I'm immature, I'm not connected to other people, I'm tossed about, and you know what? I'm not sure that this Bible stuff is true anyway. And we begin to, instead of deconstruct and ask for truth and build up a stronger foundation, we tend to throw it away, and we tend to throw others away. So we get these conflicts in the church where we disagree with others. Instead of working it out and knowing some skills, we distance ourselves, or we fight, or it all goes haywire. The interesting, and I shared this yesterday, we're meeting with some um, uh, leaders from the church and other people were talking about direction. We're going in 2023 and beyond. It was really great. And I said, you know, the problem with the New Testament is uh, pastors often look at Acts 2. If you know Acts 2, it's where, you know, the gospel is first presented by uh, Peter. The Holy Spirit comes and like 3,000 uh, people at least are baptized and saved and everyone's sharing everything. It's going really well. And we're like, that's what the church should be. And that's true. And then you look at the whole rest of the New Testament and it's letter after letter after letter after letter after letter dealing with just a mess. Like people not knowing how to live together, not knowing how to relate, not knowing what God's nature actually is. And that's what Paul is saying here. So there's a better way. Here's the problem. If we're not equipping and being equipped, if we're not growing up and growing close together, then we're going to be immature. We're going to be tossed about. We're going to be easily influenced. But, but, there's a better way. Instead, verse 15, instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body. Remember, like the head, it's, it's, it's guiding and steering. It's not so much about control, but, but when you know, you've got something wrong with your, with your mind and, and how you guide others, uh, guide, your, guide your life, and, and, and your body can't do the right things, or things are out of sync, it's going to become very difficult. So instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Instead, there's a way. There's a way that contrasts and combats immaturity. There's a way that contrasts and combats just being tossed about by any book or video or person or opinion. There's a way that combats being easily influenced. So we have a solid foundation. Not me and my theology and my way and my street sign and my bullhorn and my whatever, but a way that brings greater unity and greater maturity at the same time. And it's when we do this. It's when we speak the truth in love. What on earth does that mean? What does it mean to speak the truth in love? Well, let's just divide that out a little bit. Speak the truth. So speaking the, the truth implies that we're doing much more than speaking. In fact, the term there actually means truthing. When we truth each other, we act, we steer towards, we point out, we guide towards, we act on the truth. It's not truth as a concept, and I'm going to share my opinion with you and convince you and make sure you know that I'm right and you're wrong. It's I'm convinced of the truth, and I'm acting and behaving truthing towards you and helping you do the same. I read this uh, quote this week. This fundamental concern for the truth is the secret of maturity in the church. We have to hold tightly to truth and then have some tools on how to mine deep to discover and understand what is truth and what's not. Um, this includes speaking, directing towards, acting, walking alongside. We translate it speaking the truth in love because that's where you begin. 
but it's much more than that. Now, the second part is in love. How do you speak the truth in love? Speaking the truth in love, in a loving way, means first and foremost seeing the other person through God's eyes. Someone who is worthy of care, respect, honor, their own backstory, their own bent, their own perspective. But it's much more than that. It's not just, we're fellow humans, so you're equal. It is, God sees you in a way I can't. He has an identity, you have an identity in Christ that you may not understand. And your sin, your brokenness, the stuff that hasn't yet been made right isn't who you are. But God knows who you are. And so it's to ask God for eyes so that I speak in a way that I recognize that. And so speaking in love means speaking with your interest in mind. It means uh, presenting the truth in a way that it can be received well. I care as much about what the truth is as how our relationship goes. Now, the problem is we tend to get this wrong, right? We tend to get this wrong. We misunderstand holding tight to truth or, you know, interacting in love. And so those who hold tight to truth tend to, you know, preach strongly at others and don't care about relationships and say, well, the gospel will offend. Absolutely. The gospel is countercultural. It goes against everything that Satan has in the world. Everything. Satan wants nothing more than to keep us immature, tossed about, and easily influenced. Absolutely. Lost. So the gospel itself is, is offensive to a worldview and a life that has not been moving in the direction of God. But the truth of the gospel is freeing. So though the message itself may initially offend, the messenger cannot. Jesus did not. Remember, Jesus, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, you know, shepherd, healed the blind, stood up against injustice, worked on behalf of the oppressed, was kind and gentle and welcomed sinners in. Those who, those who felt most dirty around the religious elite felt somehow comfortable in Jesus' presence. And so he threw out the money changers and fashioned a whip to get rid of uh, the animals and overturned the tables in the temple because that court was for non-Jews to worship and now they couldn't. Jesus stood on behalf. He, he, did, he, he spoke against injustice. So he, he had these times when he was confronting and, and, and saying, I'm, I'm tired of these people and why can't they change? And he had times where he's incredibly compassionate. The same Jesus who said to Peter, okay, so with Peter, he was saying, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and, and it's best that I die. And Peter said, no, there's much more better work for you to do, Jesus, and preaching and healing. And do. What did Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. That doesn't sound like a very loving thing to me. When I say that to Stephanie, I'm just kidding. All right? All right? We don't have the authority to say that to anyone, by the way. But what he was saying is that your intent, your perspective, your mind, you don't have about you the things of God, but the things you want. So what he's confronting Peter on was the truth. And he walked it out in a love beyond what we can share. In that moment, we might say short-term, Jesus wasn't very loving. He really offended Peter, and that was the wrong thing. Jesus died for Peter. 
Peter denied Jesus three times. Jesus was crucified, rose again, and took time before he ascended to take Peter aside. And three times, to match the three times Peter denied him, said, Peter, do you love me? If so, feed my sheep. He got Peter doing that equipping role in the body because it was necessary for truth and love to go hand in hand. Jesus, John 1 says, he was full of grace and truth. Sometimes we can say grace and love. Sometimes what we misunderstand is we think that truth is hard, fast, mean, you know, unmovable, uncaring, and love is just like, let's just like overlook stuff, and it's no big deal, and uh, you know, and when we get this wrong, it makes no sense. That's why speaking your truth doesn't usually yield the right things. We need to understand what's speaking the truth, so holding to truth and doing it in a loving way. Here's another way to think about it. Say what Jesus would say in a way he would say it so we all might be more like him. Say what Jesus would say in a way he would say it so we all might be more than like him. The thing about this passage and the thing that we misunderstand sometimes if, you, if you've read it before, we take verses out of context and we try and get a principle. And we think that this particular passage is about me and another person I need to confront who's going sideways or whatever. It's about me. It's about the other person and the other people. And it's about the whole church. Because the more we cling to truth, Jesus said, I am the truth, the way, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And the truth, me, Jesus, and the truth coming from me, my word, my nature sets people free. It will make a better atmosphere in your church family. And he's full of grace, but he's full of truth. How, did that, how does that work? How does that work? So well, let's just first of all look at what gets in the way of actually speaking the truth in love properly. Uh, first of all, false peacemaking. Me, that's me. I'll just say that. Me, that's called peacekeeping. Okay, we ignore conflict. It's going to be uncomfortable. I better not say this. I hurt their feelings. You know, we just ignore it. Our fear of offense, fear of making things worse. So we just kind of ignore the truth. Someone is walking a bad way and we fail to come alongside and say something because it's not the Canadian way. It's not the polite way. Or Jesus, it's not my business and Jesus wouldn't do this. And if I really love them or they're in a bad place, they can't handle it right now, it would cause offense and da 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 and so we ignore it. And we watch people walk into turbulent seas, immature, tossed back, highly influenced, and then have to stand by sometimes where days, weeks, months, years, they end up in a train wreck, right, of their life. The opposite is true, contempt or bitterness. We're about truth and we're about sharing my truth and I've been oppressed and I've had injustice and I need to make sure that somebody else knows what's happened to me. And so we have contempt, we have bitterness, we have hate in our heart, and we covered in love, we think, and we say these really mean things and say it's okay. We have contempt and bitterness. We dehumanize. We dump on another person and walk away and say, ha, I've dealt with this for years. You deal with it. That's not a loving way. We make the problem about the person and not the issue. Every problem is about the problem. People are involved. If someone else has something about their character, their actions, their behavior, their thoughts, it's because they're behaving, acting in a way that is not in line with their true identity in Christ. And it's not actually them, even though they're responsible. 
So we have to treat them as such. This is not love the sinner, hate the sin stuff. It's not quite that simple. But we have to realize that there is a problem, and we can make the problem about the problem and not the person so that we can be in relationship. We need to be growing up and growing close. Speaking truth without love is heartless. That's not the Jesus way at all. But showing love, reckless, ruinous empathy without speaking truth uh, lacks true compassion. We can't really say we care about something. Let me give you an example. All right? So you're at school or you're at work. You're somewhere with other people. All right? Somebody comes out of the bathroom with a fly down. All right? You notice it. What do you do? What are you going to do? There's a few options. Number one is, hey, everybody, look at so-and-so. They got their fly down. <laughs> and you laugh. You have a good laugh. And the person's embarrassed and humiliated. Maybe in the moment they're like, <laughs> and they you know, zip up. And... But inwardly, they're shamed and humiliated. They feel distanced. What if that's in a small group or somewhere, and you're just trying to joke around and make them feel comfortable and stuff like that, but they're growing further and further apart from others. They're not growing in maturity, and they're not growing close to others. The other is what we tend to do as polite Canadians, right? We're like, oh. And we see it, and a few other people see it. Nobody wants to say anything. What do we do? How do we say it? We're going to embarrass them. It's going to be horrible. And so then they leave the room, and we're like, did you see? Yeah, I saw. Maybe there's a little bit of snickering. You're not sure what did they come back in, and you're like, nothing's wrong. You go through the whole day. And then at the end of the day, that person discovers it. And how do they feel? How do you feel? Why didn't anyone tell me? Why didn't anyone help me go through the initial embarrassment of making this mistake and help me fix it. Either way is like either ruinous or just cruel. And speaking the truth in love means to have the guts enough to go in a discreet way and say, hey, look, this isn't going to be easy. And it's not easy for me to say this. But your fly's down. <laughs> and you might want to fix that. Don't worry, I don't think anyone noticed. I'm saying it as quick as I can. And no one else will know. I'm so sorry that happened. Maybe you can have a laugh. What is that person going to think about you? Are they going to hate you? Are you going to have this problem together? Are they never going to come back into that group? No, you're probably solidifying the relationship because you're the one person who can say there's spinach in your teeth. There's your flies down. There's this thing. When it comes to deeper things in life, it's even more important. This is not about speaking my truth and making sure someone knows. It's about alerting to someone to a lie or to something wrong, something that's going to wound them or others, and doing it in a way that's going to be helpful in the long run, doing it in the Jesus way. So these things get in the way, but what will help? Well, again, I'm going to bring us back to having God's eyes for others. Ask God to help you see them through his eyes. Now, this is difficult when you're in conflict with someone. Right? If speaking the truth is you've been hurt by someone and you have to say it, that's really hard. But it's necessary, especially in a church family, in a body, in a living temple, where we're supposed to be connected. Deeper than that, we're supposed to be brothers and sisters. And in a family, you can't just leave one another. But when a family member leaves or is hurt or makes a bad choice and nobody says anything, it's terrible. And in a family, when someone is making bad choices and going in a wrong pathway, and people say things in a cruel way, or kick them out, or say, you're not part of us anymore, because you can't do that either. 
So that's the first thing, seeing the other person through God's eyes. Good, bad, sinful patterns, things that need to be broken, the freedom they can experience in Christ, and a commitment to the truth. Commit to the truth, even if it hurts. What's the truth of this situation? Now, here's the thing with uh, this speak your truth. Sometimes what we think is the truth is not the truth. And sometimes we're wrong. But we have to at least start somewhere in having a conversation. Speaking truth in love opens that door to consider those things. In the Bible, God confronts. God, in fact, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to convict. The difference between... uh, you know, just speaking your truth in a, in, in a rude way and what God does in our hearts to reveal sin is condemnation and conviction. Con- condemnation separates. It's what Satan does. Uh, Satan is called the accuser of the brethren or the accuser of the saints. He accuses, makes us feel bad. Look how horrible you are. And he, he really wants us to do that to one another when we notice sin or notice something wrong, notice anything, or we've got conflict and we should do with it. Do it in that way. Accuse, point fingers condemn. He's also called, uh, you know, a, a masquerader. He, he masquerades as an angel of light. His truth seems really good, but it's not. He's also called a roaring lion who seeks out someone to devour. He, he gets people immature and tossed about and influenced and feeling lonely and apart and ashamed and no one likes me and what's going on and can pick them off and hurt them, wound them. So why bother with any of this? Here's the why. So we got the problem, immature, toss about, influence. Here's the skill. Speak truth in love. What's the result? Verse 16. He, okay, so the result comes from God when we obey him. His result. He, when we're equipping and being equipped and growing more mature and speaking truth in love, getting involved enough in one another's lives that we can say deep seated things that are difficult and costly, but super loving in a gracious way that builds relationship, builds spiritual maturity. When we do that, he, God, makes the whole body fit together perfectly. When we don't speak the truth in love, we do not fit. We can't have maturity, and we can't have unity. He does that work as we walk it out, speaking truth in love. This one skill is one of the missing pieces in almost every church, and it hinders unity and spiritual maturity so much. We need to be doing this. It's that important. As each part does its own special work, everybody has a part to play. Everybody. Some are equippers, some are being equipped, some are up front, some are... There's, it's all the same, just a little different. As each part does its own special work, it helps other parts grow. How do we be people helping people follow Jesus? come and stack chairs and barely talk to anyone and just go home? No. We get involved in one another's lives. And as we build connection and relationship, that's why we start out every service. Get connected. Follow social media. Follow this pathway to build a relationship here so you've got people in your life who you can speak into and they can speak into you. So we're deeply as brothers and sisters. Whether you're following Jesus or not there yet. So he makes each part fit together perfectly. And as we do, each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is what? Healthy and growing and full of love. We want health and growth and lots of love. And we want to do it without being 
in each other's business and we want to be polite and you do your thing and I'll do mine and I'm watching this person make this mistake and oh boy that conflict boy they're fighting I'm not getting involved with that and we need help here we need we just want to kind of stay uninvolved or we want to stay really involved and make sure we correct everyone and we're doing all this truth stuff and all this grace stuff and we aren't meeting in the middle Jesus full of grace and truth we become more like Jesus as we say things the way Jesus would say them, in the way Jesus would say them, for the benefit of all of us. And when we do that, speaking the truth in love grows us up and grows us close. That's how we grow. That's how we grow. That's people helping people follow Jesus. We have to do this. We have to learn to do this. How do we do that? Well, grow up. It, it, it matures us spiritually. It's one thing for a pastor to say, spend time with Jesus every day. We absolutely should. You probably know that already. And I say that all the time. Spend time with Jesus. There's nothing better for your spiritual maturity than spending time on your own with Jesus. Great for me to say that. You can hear that and go, that's good. I'll do that someday. It's quite another thing of someone who you've grown close to. Maybe they're in your small group. Maybe a friend. Maybe serve with them. Maybe sit near them. And they say, you know, over the past couple months, as we talk about our relationship with Jesus, it seems like you're drifting. Like, seems, how about this? I drift too. I'm struggling too. Uh, why don't we read this devotional together? And we'll get together every couple weeks and we'll talk about it. Uh, you're struggling. I'm struggling. Speaking the truth, really in a loving way. Uh, not, you know, I, I'm not the equipper equipping this poor, immature, tossed about, influenced person to come to my level, and if you would only do what I do and take the course or do the devotional, you'll raise to my level and will finally be all. That's why people leave the church when that's spiritual maturity. It's us coming together. It grows us up. It's way better. You can't grow spiritually without relationship. Secondly, it grows us close, that relationship. It unifies. This is unity. When we're not afraid to speak the truth in love, and we're willing to wade into the mess. Guess what? Speaking the truth in love is messy. It's costly. It's going to go wrong sometimes. But when it goes right, it's best for me, because I am learning to relate to people in a way that I can't see modeled very well out in the world in the same way. Although, there are practices, and based on this principle, if you go for counseling, you'll learn some of this stuff. It's based here, 2,000 years ago, long before psychology or any of this stuff. It's here. It's got its root here. God wants to do the work and bring the results. And so we do that. We get involved in one another's lives. Satan thrives in immaturity and separation and confusion. He wants crisis and conflict. He doesn't want unity. He doesn't want the messiness of figuring this out together. Speaking the truth in love grows us up and grows us close. So, how do we do this? Well, I pulled together five things from a bunch of different resources that have helped me and I hope help you. First of all, pray. All right? Uh, pray. You pray before, you pray during, you pray after, you speak with someone or come alongside someone. Sometimes it's neat and tidy as one you know, short conversation, you go up for coffee. Sometimes it's a period of time where you're speaking and working through things. You just got to pray. God is going to do the work, but he's got to work in you to work through you. That's, that's how things work. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you see, understand, grasp truth. Ask the Holy Spirit for openness for the second, uh, for the second thing. Okay? Check your motives. Why do you want to share this? 
Hey, do you have a hidden motivation? Maybe not even like at the surface with you. Other people can see it, but you can't see it yet. You just think that your motives are pure, and they're not. Um, are you more concerned um, in sidestepping the offense or getting into the, the offense? Maybe you're speaking to set someone straight instead of to guide towards truth, instead of pointing towards Jesus. Ask God to reveal the hidden parts. David did this. Uh, David, a man after God's own heart, said, reveal in me all the, the hidden things. I don't even know in my own heart. Ask God to do that. So pray, uh, consider your motivations, then listen and speak. Can't always say speak truth and love, but listen. Man, when you present something, listen. Be willing to be amazed that your perception on truth may be wrong. That there may be something you don't know about their life. There may be something hidden. We make all these assumptions about people's intents, the intention of their heart. I know they did this to me because. I know they did this because they did this thing before, and so it must mean this, this, and this. Most of the time, we have no idea. Sometimes we're discerning. We can figure that out. Most of the time, we have no idea. Be willing to listen when you speak truth. That's the loving thing. We say, hey, open hands. Hey, I, God laid this on my heart. Or, or I've been praying for you. Or, I've seen this in your life. Or we've been in disagreement. Or there's, there's this thing. Uh, it, it seems like you're, you're making bad choices. I'm offering that open-handed to you. Um, I, I think this is true. But I want you to know that, that I could be wrong. So let's, let's deal with this. Let me, let me, let's come together on this, step on the same side of the problem, and work on this together. Fourth, uh, watch your words. You cannot take your words back. Every single one of us watching and listening this morning has had someone say something hurtful to us that uh, they can't take back. Sometimes that person apologizes. But the ripple effects of that through time, they still stick with us. Sometimes they rear their head later on. We don't even notice it. Watch your words. If you're going to say something difficult to someone, rehearse it, write it down, bounce it off someone else. Okay, when you've got a problem with someone else, do not triangulate gossip. Go around and say, I just want to check if I'm right. I just want to check. I just Like, that's, that's gossip. But go to someone who you're in a relationship with and say, I'm thinking of, and I need you to help me. Let's keep this private. Where's the motive of my heart? Would you pray with me? Would you help me say this in a way that it will be received well? Okay? And finally, uh, trust the results to God. You and I cannot convince anyone of anything. We can't change their mind. The most convincing arguments. They ain't going to work. We cannot change someone. We can't make them behave or think or act in any different way. We can't do that. God has the power to change hearts, but even there... He gives us free will. Even God, right? Jesus, all-powerful, all gives us free will. And so we need to be willing that if we open-handedly speak the truth in love, the results are up to him. Here's, here's the crazy thing. Our greatest hope for something to go well in our relationship, in the church, because it's ripple effects, right? What we do with another person or a couple or a small group of people actually ripples through the church. If we have a whole church speaking the truth and love to one another, this is not just about conflict or when something's bad. Speaking the truth of encouragement and love. Like, when we do that, we make the whole body better. God grows us up and grows us close, but we must trust the results to God. He's the one who wants to do the work. Remember, like, this isn't Jeremy's words. Like, this is God saying, here's the deal. Right through Paul. 
we, we need people equipping. We need those equipped. You're going to work together. And as a body, as a family, you're going to fit together. Here's the thing you're missing because you're going to be immature, tossed about, and uh, influenced. So, so in order to not be that way, you need to speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love is not a list of, here's the doctrines you need to understand. And here's the things you need to it is, it is something that applies to everything all the time as we get in the mess of our lives and church family. This is important in your daily life. This is important in our church. This is a, a missing skill. And so I want to encourage you this week, this month, this season. Think about your life. <laughs> what might a truth be that someone needs to speak to you? And what might a truth be to another person, especially someone in our church family, that you maybe need to speak, you've been holding on to? You can do it in a loving way. That would help them, help you, help the church, and bring us to this Wonderful place, as Paul said, of this maturity, where he says in verse 16, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. Wouldn't that be wonderful? As each part does its own special work, then all of us grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. That's what we want. It can't happen without this one thing. Speaking the truth in love grows us, and connects us in a way that nothing else does. So say what Jesus would say in the way Jesus would say it for the benefit of us all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, that you give us such practical insight in your word. Lord, this is a really tough, uh, this really tough thing. And as we go through these four skills this, this season, as our small groups deal with this, as people take resources out from the libraries, people sign up and, and attend and participate in uh, emotionally healthy relationships, we pray that our relationships and our spiritual and emotional maturity and our relational maturity in our homes, in our relationships, in our church family, would grow up and that we would fit together perfectly more and more. That those who are feeling on the outside of the Country Hills Church family would feel so at home. And those who have been here a long time but have not been participating in speaking truth and love and, and building up in maturity, that we, we would begin to do that more and more and more. Help us as we do that not to be offensive and not to stand back to know when to speak and when to be quiet, to have your timing, to hold both truth and grace in equal portions, since it's such part of your nature, Jesus. Give us a wonderful week as we follow you and as we commit to your truth and as we commit to your love. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us this morning. If you're able to stack chairs, that'd be wonderful. And uh, Lord bless you as you go.